Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I have Scott C. Smith joining me today to talk about East Palestine, something that you know we've been talking about quite a lot. It's been one of the most horrendous situations, one of the most obvious cover-ups, in my opinion, that I've ever seen in my life. And it's, it's a really astounding situation to see after four months that we're still having this conversation, not about how, that we should be focusing on what happened, but that we're still even disputing. People are debating whether this is even something that happened. It's kind of blowing my mind. So joining me again today is Scott C. Smith, Chief Sustainability, Chief Sustainability Officer at ECO Integrated Technologies, Inc., and one of the few independent experts that are on the ground in East Palestine, exposing the ongoing cover-up by the EPA and Norfolk Southern. So, Scott, thank you for joining me today, taking the time. I know you're very busy. How are you? Great. Uh, really appreciate you having me, Ryan, and these longer form segments and the media. And uh, it's people like you that are going to make the media honest again. So much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate that, man. And yeah, I mean, your, your work is so very important on the ground that so few are doing, which is kind of, it's kind of staggering to me that that hasn't happened more, but I know why people are afraid to kind of rock the boat these days. But let, we're, let's get into a lot of different things today about the, the risks and so on. But I want to kind of start with, so you, you know, you're, you're not involved with this and something obviously caught your attention. So what was it that made yeah. you go, I'm going to go there and check this out? Yeah, well, what I have done, you know, this is probably approaching my 70th, 70th disaster. And wow. a, little, a little bit of background, you can see on my pin tweeter, my pin Facebook, it's the history. Uh, 17 years ago, I was wiped out in oil-contaminated floodwaters in 2006. And uh, everything, I, my business, 100 employees, I've walked the streets not knowing where anything is going to come to next. First thing I did is, you know, try to, you know, when you walk the streets and you see, employees and people that you know, not knowing how they're going to feed their babies, get baby formula that profoundly affects you. So the, the insurance company de, uh, declared my factory in a basement and did not pay. So um, I liquidated my life, put everything, my life savings, put everything back. We recovered. And in this 500 year flood in 2006 in upstate New York, uh, there was oil contaminated floodwaters everywhere. And, the white booms, the white sorbents, nothing was working. And I had a medical foam, a special foam in the corner that had a FDA approval and the military was using, believe it or not, for our first responders and also military in the event there's a sarin gas or a toxic gas attack. It's infused with a lotion and it was the only material in the world that would, that would not deactivate the lotion. And if your skin is exposed to attack, you scrub it down and you live. That started sucking up all the oil where nothing else was. So um, I decided if I was going to liquidate my life, restart over again, I became obsessed with oil and water and started using this technology. It was in the corner of my factory and building it out. So roll forward to 2010. I see BP. I reach out to BP and, you know, no one's getting back to me. So I went down with a duffel bag, chartered my own boat little little fishing boat and fishermen said uh, you know thousands of people before you happy to take your money threw him my iphone i think it was an iphone two or three at the time i don't remember and he's turned white as i started scrubbing uh, taking this material and the oil started coming off hmm. and then bp reached out to me and then bp endorsed what i did in the technology and that, that's really how my uh i had an existing business wiped out in oil contaminated floodwaters and that was kind of the birth of my, you know, and remediation technology. So mm -hmm. 
that's where I learned back in 2000, you know, 10 at the BP about here. I thought that's when I was naive when it came to sustainability. So in BP, actually the, the people at BP were great. And that's where I found out Republicans, Democrats, elected officials. I can tell you, I sat at a Ritz Carlton meeting, you know, uh, Mary Landrieu Senator and all this stuff. I refused. They should do the right thing. I shouldn't have to, you know, and I, I just refused. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's where I was told, well, we're not, you know, BP bought a few million dollars. It could have been hundreds of millions, but I'm too stubborn. I'm under a lot of stress. That's why I sleep at night and I got to be able to look myself in the mirror. I will right. not participate in, in that kind of pay to play scheme, whether legal or not. I just, I, 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 I abhor it because what's going on. So that's when, that's when. I didn't pay to play and I ended up having some death threats against me and BP was great in protecting me. And I don't, you know, and, and, and I don't, I fear nothing doing this kind of work. Um, And that's when I realized I had oil spill contractors and even elected officials were never going to use your technology after BP endorsed it. It may have saved the shorelines from being burned. We don't want to get the oil out of the water quickly we're all tied to the landfills, the more trips to the landfill we make. So hence the sustainability thing. And as I started this path, then I, then I started going into all these other contamination events, Mayflower, Arkansas, uh, water contamination, chemical spills. Cause I realized that, you know, if I could help communities not have to go through what I went through my own disaster, I mean, my life will never be the same again. And but we recovered and and going to disasters and help people understand what's in their water mm-hmm. um, at when you see this kind of corruption firsthand, um, it, you know, which it, it changed. And, I, and like I said, I'm pretty stubborn and passionate about it. So um, I started going to all these different disasters and roll forward to East Palestine Um I had somebody we reach a resident reach out on Twitter and said, would you please come help me? And I usually get called in or community or somebody to call in. And, and when I joined last year, I joined a company. I I have, uh, I'm involved in multiple companies. I'm CEO of two other companies that I own, but I'm also involved. You might, have you seen stuff about toxic algae? Toxic algae. in a general sense, yeah, I'm actually really interested in that. In, in the the real, yeah, I'm heavily involved. I'll, I'll send you emails separately on that because we've got yeah. a lot to talk about. Yeah. But I'm heavily involved, and in Florida, and you know, nutrient that that's a big threat to to the human race because yeah. of excess nutrients. So last year, I sold a, a couple of my patents. I have you know, um, I have about twenty four. Um, to a company called Eco Integrated Technologies, and they wanted me to join as chief sustainability officer. And part of the terms of my employment, I said to them, you know, I want to continue to go into these disasters. I want to set a new model for corporate citizenship. Maybe corporations should do the right thing for the communities, not fun, do the right thing. No strings attached. I want a budget. I want to go in if there's a contamination event and you know, I believe if you really mean what you say individually or a corporation, um, when it comes to sustainability, if you don't, if the health of a community like East Palestine isn't sustainable, I don't really think anything else matters. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't have your health and you're getting cancer, does it matter whether or not you use a plastic straw? 
I don't think so. Right. Um, so in starting to set a new role for that, I went in there and started and started testing. And and that's you know, now I've made eight trips out there. And the expression is you can't find what you don't look for. Right. I can't believe something so simple has really generated, you know, so many sound bites, but if you can't find what you don't look for, and I do feel very positively about East Palestine. It is like a tipping point in all the disasters I've been to. I've never had so many experts reach out to me. Um, For example, I have five experts over 150 years of experience. Four of them have to remain nameless. You'd probably recognize them in their institutions, but that's, it's, it's pretty sad that we live in the United States of America and people have to fear for their jobs for, for trying to get to the science. All the talk we have about follow the science. Right. And when you truly want to file the science, people have to live in fear for their But because of the media and because of uh, journalists like yourself, Dr. Beatrice Gullum was able to find me. I did not know who she was. And it's, it's she, we, and, and you've seen the press release that we put out. She reached out to me. And why is she so important is the burn pits mm-hmm. in the Gulf War. Right. Believe it or not, not you know, it's easy to believe. Our our government was telling uh was telling the uh vets that it's mass psychosis, you know, perfectly safe levels, mm. you're fine. And what she was able to do is talk about it's not a singular exposure to a singular chemical, it's how all these chemicals mix together. And she was able to help and diagnose all that. But until East Palestine. We've had some other events in the U.S. with dioxins, mm-hmm. yeah, but nothing like an intentional burn after a derailment. So we effectively have, for the first time in the continental United States, a burn pits similar to the to the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, that's a very interesting point for people. And really quickly on your point about you can't find what you don't look for. I think the reason that got so much attention and rightly so is because it's an easy thing for people to understand. The average person sees that and it's a very clear example, corruption, yep. right? Knowingly avoiding things you don't want to find. And that, that's a really important point. But I actually just did a, a focus on the burn pits in the, in the context of you know, the larger discussion. And that's just one part of it, but showing that this is a real, you know, I, I actually went over a couple different studies, one from uh, in regard to the Arctic and a, a town in the Arctic that has high levels of dioxins and uh, brother, uh, mother's breast milk, despite the fact that they don't have any dioxin sources within 500 kilometers. And they prove that it came from American sources, you know, and all these different overlaps. And so it's a really important conversation. So I'm glad you bring that up because it's been a long track record. So please continue on the dioxin. Well, right. I mean, and all these, see, this train that with this controlled burn, the other thing is the weather patterns that day. and the team of experts I have, we're developing an interactive map and I'd love to come back and give you updates. It's not, we're taking all my testing and developing an interactive map. And when that burn was happening, there was a thermal inversion, which is the worst thing that could happen for the plume. It did not move. It just kind of hovered over the ground. And um, I am no weather expert. I'm no mapping expert. And I'm really appreciative and very glad to have these people around me. And I think this will be very telling. But the other thing is for every 10 chemicals, you have a thousand different combinations. There's about 50 different chemicals. So think about that. 50,000 different common. All the standards 
in the U.S. are based on to uh, basically like OSHA. It does not assume that you're exposed 24-7 and a singular exposure to a singular chemical. So it is completely disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And it's a false narrative when the and let there be no doubt the PR people and the lobbyists are in charge. And it's unfortunate the power they wield over the agencies. It's got to change. Um, so citing a singular exposure to a single chemical or saying things are safe is just simply not accurate whatsoever because there are no standards. And that's why we're doing what we can with the blood testing and and other and other testing and i'm taking the my ground results and also uh it's unfortunate but i think that we're the only ones i'm the only one looking for dioxins in well water soil and sediment and uh we're accumulating a lot of data and also we have been able to accumulate control data where the plume was not and there's something called a fingerprint whether it's dioxins or these other chemicals and the fingerprint is different, meaning the mix of chemicals identified, whether dioxins or not in the plume impacted area versus the non plume impacted area. And that's a big deal. Right. I was actually just going over that local report, which is one of the few people covering that showing, showing that exact point and talking about what you're finding. So I think it's clear that it's your opinion and tell me if I'm wrong, that this is, they, that they're well aware of this problem and just actively gaslighting people as a comparative point to the burn pits uh, in, in Iraq and elsewhere. Is that so is that how you feel? Yeah, about I, don't, I, I think the, the words coming out of the PR people calling all the shots and mm-hmm. from some of the agencies too, I don't think it's opinion. It's you're watching them. I've been there listening, saying it's psychosomatic, it's stress. Well, women's menstrual, what would just happen? Women's menstrual cycles becoming very painful, heavy blooding, heavy clotting, rashes, people having seizures. I, I don't even need to do any testing to know none of these symptoms were ubiquitous in the East Palestine and its surrounding communities prior to the train incident. Something is going on there. So for, for PR people affiliated with the railroad to be orchestrating this narrative where it's just stress, clotting blood, that, that doesn't come from stress. Little kids uh, peeing blood, having kidney issues, that's not stress. Right, right. Now, one thing that I have, like, I don't, I, if you want to comment on this, please feel free, but because it's a whole nother conversation. But one thing I find interesting is a lot of those symptoms you're describing are also, in my opinion, being covered up in regard to the injections that are being given. And so it's an interesting kind of overlap. And I don't know how we would even kind of piece that out. But either way, your main point is that simply it wasn't there before this happened. And now they're all suffering kind of this large, it, it seems kind of ubiquitous, different types of symptoms, but it seems like the entire area is similarly saying we feel different today. We can't think straight and all these different things. And then you got the more severe things you just described. I, I don't I know how anybody honest cannot see that there's something going on. It, it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. And for me, follow the science. I think everyone's familiar with that term. And science should not be politicized or controlled by information officers. Right. And I tell all the government agencies, the railroad, everybody, open invitation to test side by side with me, split samples. But when you start, why, you know, why do you need a public information officer? You shouldn't. Because there are a lot of great, don't get me wrong, I've been doing this for a long time. 
and oversee. There's they're the workers at the EPA, great, honest, ethical people, but their hands get tied. Their hands get tied because of the undue influence from the fifty hundred billion dollar company that has all the lobbyists and PR people. Right. But there's a change. There's people coming together in a way I haven't seen. Like journalists like yourself asking questions, not going away. Very smart community. I've never had so many experts reach out. And you know, now with with Dr. Beatrice Gollum reaching out and, and forming an alliance with me to test, it it's very hard. It's going to be almost impossible for the PR people on the other side of this to undermine what we're, what we're doing. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I, that's, I mean, I would say that's already the case and already has been. So it's only going to become more difficult for them to keep this under wraps. But it, yeah, it, it's definitely on the surface. And I think average people can see this. And it's, it's like any other conversation we're seeing right now. It's basically all the facts that you can prove versus just what they say. And I don't know how that continues to float, but it's kind of amazing. We're in a very controlled flow of information. But so what, what was your first indication? So you, you're on the ground, just you're not sure what you're going to find. And what was your first indication that, that people were being misled? Well, it's it, it, the fact that, you know, it's not spreading. And well, I, I go myself as almost like a human intercreator. And I volunteer to do this. So it's not a big deal to me. But I can tell you, I'm used to getting in and out quickly of these disasters, being relay, exposed to oil here and there not for extended periods of times. Yeah, you get dizzy and everything, but this was unlike anything I've ever experienced because it would take me 48 to 72 hours after every time I went to East Palestine. Sore throat, scratchy, everything that the residents are describing, they're not making it up. And again, I do this, I volunteer, no big deal. But I don't, again, with all the health symptoms and what I experienced, I really don't need to see my testing results to know that something is going on. But... um, it is, and it's. It, people are still getting sick, and they're usually at this time after an event, things subside. It is not. People are getting sicker, and what are we three? I forget three or four months into this. Yeah, four months. And so let, let's focus on that for a second. So this brings me back to the point about the so-called controlled burn. Are, are we in agreement that that was not a controlled burn? That like by definition, the flow of oxygen oxygen was not there. So that you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And again, the experts that uh, they will be coming forward eventually. It's my understanding. And again, I'm not an expert when it comes to controlled burns, but the people around me that are reached out are. And if I understand them correctly, there wasn't even a need for the controlled burn because there's an endothermic reaction going on. And they, they, they're accumulating data where, so why the, why the trigger was pulled on the explosion, it's all going to come out in the NTSB is looking into this and they have been in communication with that. But um, we still don't know. They're kind of pointing the fingers at each other. Right. We still don't know who really made the decision and pulled the trigger on the controlled burn. You know, there are people out there saying it may not have been necessary. I'm not saying that as Scott Smith. I'm listening. And again, when you follow the science in a normal world, which we are unfortunately not in this these day. When you follow the science, it's about debate and you, you know, you go back and forth in a professional way without demonizing anybody in it. If we follow the science here, we need to understand what happened because this will be scientifically explained. 
Right. Well, I can't wait to hear that information. But so this brings us to the part about the the way that went down. Right. So in my opinion, and based on, again, the experts I'm speaking to as well, it seems very clear to them that this was the opposite of controlled. You know, they dumped it on the ground. There was no ground cover, burned with no oxygen control. And so obviously that led to and why don't you tell me what you think that amounts to? Obviously, it leads into the ground. Right. So more than just dioxins that were produced by the byproduct. What what's the real risk there? And that's why I'm getting to what you said before about how I find it absolutely unreal that people are st- four months later, you step in there and get that immediate reaction that clearly there's still something going on, not just the dioxin potential or I don't know, maybe you tell well, me. As the expert. I first got there in February, like three to four weeks afterwards and the dioxins, the SVOCs and the whole list of chemicals, there were oil, heavy oil, tanker cars. It was a concoction of toxic chemicals that I've never quite seen over 60 disasters. And then they lit it on fire, put it into the air in the dust. So it's going, it's going everywhere. Oh, wow. Hold on a second. So you're saying that before the burn, there was already this concoction of chemicals swirling well, around? No, 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 no. Well, when, when it derailed on February 3rd, I didn't get there to start testing till February 24th. Mm, okay. uh, but when it derailed, there was a concoction of chemicals that were spilling into right. Sulphur Run, into the creek, into the air, the volatile um, organic compounds like benzene, semi-volatile, and then you got dioxins. And my point is the mix of these, this toxic cocktail was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. We don't know how these chemicals are combining. And then, you know, the controlled burn, I think, lasted for three or four days. And then they intentionally light it on fire. So when you light things on fire, chemicals combine. Things go airborne. There's a whole host that, that that's why the fingerprint. It's like, unfortunately, it's like a murder scene or a crime scene. So we need to understand the blood type or the fingerprint. It's not about the levels because when I showed up four weeks later, it's about what is present, what should not be there, how did these combine? Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's talk about that specifically, though, that, that the, the mixing. I mean, that's such an obviously valid point. And it's amazing to me that that's something that they're I mean, it's not really. Again, we've seen how they've been operating, but it's shocking to see that they wouldn't address that. The obvious possibility of these things can co- mixing and causing other new problems. But so what were you, let's go into what you found specifically and then the the dioxin specifically, because I've really been focusing on the TCDD and that the risk and, and the levels and the historic discussion. So one, do you think that the dioxins alone are at a dangerous level? We've seen a lot of reporting on that. And then go into the mixing and what you think that might actually be causing. Dioxin and dangerous levels of dioxin is uh, debated in the medical community. So, but I can tell you this, there's something called body burden. I can tell you, you know, I'm used to doing this and dioxins are the fentanyl of chemicals. Well, they're measured in parts per quadrillion. (laughs) I've never measured anything in parts per quadrillion before. I'm used to parts per billion. Right. And sometimes parts per trillion. So, you know, quadrillion is a thousand trillion. So those are very minute. It doesn't. And then there's every every human has a different body burden. Dioxins don't just readily go away. You just don't pee them out. You just don't exhale them like some of these other contaminants. So um, the you know, that's why the combining of all these things. So I I can't tell you. What what there there may not be a so-called safe level of dioxins that you can broadly say every human's different. What's safe for you, what's safe for me, depending on our life history and, and what our 
body burden or what our baseline dioxin buildup is from years of being on the planet. We just right. don't know. See, that's a really important point. And just to show, since I mentioned these, I went over this. Re- this is a report from the year 2000. And this is the discussion of, of the it's uh, none of it Arctic Canada. And, and these are women who are they're finding above the considered safe level of dioxins in their breast milk. And as you can see in the title, it's from North American sources. That's what they found. And they found that it was coming from sources all the way from the United States and ending up in this far, can- this Arctic area. And they had no dioxin sources within 500 kilometers. And so right there, it shows you that dioxins can travel a long ways after going airborne. And then to that exact point, I dug this up from a long time ago. This is from CNN environment uh, from 1995, where they also report that as dioxins become airborne, they travel thousands of miles away. And to your other point, that even at this point in time, they were finding that they they in hamburgers and chicken and pizza from fast food restaurants, Pizza Hut, things like that, that they were finding up to eight to 150 times above the level that was safe. It kind of blows my mind that we are that it seems that they act like we don't know about this today. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Why this seems to be a conversation that was like dropped and put away when they seem to have been focusing on it around 95 to early 2000s? Uh, Just your thoughts. My thoughts, and I'm get. I mean, again, I've learned over and over again: do not underestimate the power of the corporations over the traditional media. Mm. All you got to do is take out some advertising on it. There, you know, and their WKBN. I'll use their name. I believe that's the local station. They become pro railroad, like everything's fine. And you know, this is the first time I. I guarantee you something's going on there, whether it's advertising or undue influence, the community doesn't deserve that. It doesn't deserve it at all. Hmm. That's very unfortunate. Go ahead. And you hear stories. Now, I don't know what's true. It'd be fire chiefs, family, police chief, and all the donations going in, people's family members being hired by the railroad. I call that all undue influence. I'm not here to make moral or ethical judgments. All I have issues with that, but that's undue influence. And that's, that's the problem in this country. And look at watch any TV, not that I watch it much anymore, but commercials are all big pharma. Is this playbook any different? I don't think so. That's a, That's an important point too, that of course they're going to frame that as, well, we're trying to help the community. We're trying to give them jobs and bring it. But obviously you're right. I mean, all that does is then put someone's their, their paycheck then depends on them not saying something that might put Norfolk Southern in bad light. And the playbook is if they can, if they can, get out of sight, out of mind, do pay people. And then when people get, God forbid, they get cancer three, five, seven years, it's going to be because, oh, you smoked a cigarette in college or your lifestyle choices. It's not us. So that's very, very unfortunate. But the good news is people are really waking up. Mm -hmm. Well, this brings Uh, to mind a point that um, I don't don't know if you're familiar with the Dark Horse podcast, but they they, they had he he put a a point forward that I thought was really interesting. And this is just his opinion, but you can give me your thoughts on this, that that he feels that that there's been disasters like this in the past where they've learned from the fallout that there's two things they could do. They can either take responsibility and maximize what they'll have to pay for it because they're saying, yep, we we did this and we're going to deal with it. Or they could, and either way, they pretend to take some level of responsibility. Or what they could do is try to keep it under wraps, do their best to actually spread the problem as far as possible, so it becomes almost impossible to argue that it was 
because of the local area. They're like, well, same thing over there. Or, and then as well as last out the time frame as long as possible. So like you said, it gets conflated with other things, life choices. Have you seen that in your experience dealing with these disasters? Absolutely. The ubiquitous, I predicted ubiquitous in the environment before you saw it publicly. Hmm. I'm on record. on it. <laughs> um, but that's why I've done the control. Again, the non-plume impacted. So we, I've already blown holes and called in a question this ubiquitous in the environment narrative because we found nine less dioxin, nine less dioxins in the fingerprint from the non-plume impacted or control area versus the plume impacted area. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's as clear as it gets. And I, I made this point about the concept of trying to play into this, the idea that going back to that CNN article, for example, that they were well aware of a pre-existing background problem. And so their argument, as you know, and they've said is, well, we're not going to test because or even we did. It was just kind of what was already there. That seems like a very disingenuous answer. But even you're all, you're also pointing out that it was higher than that anyway. But it just it just seems like blatant corruption to me. Yeah. And then, you know, and then there's the dust. They're mm-hmm. digging up the burn pits. People right. are continuing to have vinyl chloride in their urine. And again, that's my understanding it should be out of your system in 24, 48 hours. So they're being repeatedly exposed. How do you explain that, actually? Well, what I am learning is, again, we're not seeing any testing. They have what what um, high, vol, high volume air devices, and they're not testing for what's in the dust. I, I talked to the EPA yesterday, and I said, well, you need to test the dust because the dust can be a major problem in this when you're digging up the burn pits. Well, in that regard, though, is and the other thing, too, is you see the you see the railroad funded the street fair recently. They're funding June 11th, July 4th. They stop digging the burn pits and putting the dust in the air for these town events. Now, they must know something that we don't. And That's very telling. And I was out there recently um, and I across from ground zero testing a private business owners. And I can tell you that dust is an issue. And now here's another thing. The contract workers, the townspeople with all the dust, our government, the governor of Ohio, had no problem with mask mandates, right? Mm, right. So when you should have a mask mandate, there is none. <laughs> That's a so the question is, I don't think Governor DeWine, any of the elected officials, any of our agencies, do they really care about people's health? Where are the mask mandates when you need one? God, that is such. Well, just to be clear, and I'm sure you probably agree, I don't think government should ever be mandating any of these things. But what's funny is that you make such an excellent point that it's going to resonate with my audience so well. well I, go ahead. For the record, I agree with you. I don't get it. This should not be about politics. I'm an independent, and 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 my poli- my. But I agree with you. I believe in individual choice. You oh know? yeah, I, I'm if sure that that was clear. I think go into a radioactive area. That's their choice if they really want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think should, that, you know, but mm-hmm. if our government started this mandate thing, they could at least suggest to people or strongly recommend. And I make that, you know, point because of the pandemic and all these mask mandates as to, well, where's a mandate? If you ever might want to have a mandate, it would be for East Palestine when it right. comes to masks. Right. No, just to be clear, I'm, I, I'm sure that was clear for most people anyway. I just want to make sure that people didn't think that that's what you were suggesting. But so the point, though, is, again, that's going to resonate with my audience a lot because we've really been knocking down that illusion, the, the, their own studies. It's not statistically significant in reducing transmission. And But the point 
is what we're talking about now are dust particles, which masks will be able to stop. And so that's a really interesting point that it's at a moment when it actually finally makes sense scientifically, they don't have anything to say about it. I think that is that right there alone is such an obvious point. But so back to the unless you have any more thoughts on that, go ahead. But back to the dust itself. If I'm in regard to vinyl chloride, at least my, my minimal research, and I'm not an expert, shows that that's not something that should be lingering, right? And let, is it the dust that makes it continue? Yeah, that's right. Day? Something, if you're digging it, if you're digging up ground zero every day, something, so, these people are being exposed every day to vinyl chloride and other chemicals and they keep getting symptoms. So there is a source somewhere. Right, right. That's and what I'm find what you don't look for. If you don't test the dust particles, why can't I get a straight answer from the government agencies? Why aren't they testing the dust for dioxins? Well, you can't find what you don't look for. If you don't look for it, you don't have to report it. And you can right. say, oh, it's stress. It's mass psychosis. You're, you, these, these symptoms are in your head. Man, I mean, that's just absolutely wild. Well, since you're mentioning the symptoms, what, what's, what have you been seeing and people on the ground who, you, who you're talking to? That well, are- there's like an epidemic. And, you know, I spoke about it uh, recently in an interview, you know, a week or so ago. But I had no idea until 10 days ago that, about uh, the female issues. Very heavy, very heavy menstrual cycles, clotting, pains, rashes, and none of this existed before. And it's it's like it's prevalent all over town and even in some people that moved away, kids being affected. I mean, uh, breathing issues, rashes on the face and people having seizures. Right. Well, in regard to the ones that how many have you seen that are things that would be like in my experience i've seen veterinarians diagnosing animals with chemical poisoning or people getting what they actually call chemical bronchitis like has that been something that is prominent i've seen i've seen some diagnosis like that but here is talk about undue influence you have very few doctors that will order tests that will but there are doctors that are growing awareness of this that are reviled and they rule out. I, I, I've seen, obviously, I have to protect residents because of HIPAA and their medical mm-hmm. and health. But I've seen the, the chemical diagnosis from doctors. And I've seen where they're ruled out of every possible thing, infections, everything else. It has to be some form of chemical exposure. It's how and why. That's what we have to figure out. Right, right. Well, this brings me to an interesting point that you already went into. And and this is, and it's interesting you framed it this way because it does make a lot of sense. You talked about the previous disasters and how it was about the waste disposal kind of, you know, racket, it seems. And there's a conversation to be had here in regard to clean harbors and all these different groups they're using. So I wanted your thoughts on this. First on just your general perspective on how that might be playing the same factor in this disaster. But whether or not these areas they're shipping to even have the ability to deal with the things that we know are in the disaster, the the dachshunds, the the PFAS, things like that. I won't, uh, the name, you just recently used a name. I won't say the name, but I was told point blank, we'll never use your, in remediation, we'll never use your technology. We want, we own the landfills. We make our money by not getting the oil out. We don't want the oil out of the water quickly. So once the remediation is a huge business and a lot of these investment groups that are demanding ESG and sustainability, they all own these companies and you you could do a great, I mean, getting the word out and educating people about all this, but again, the remediation ends up to be 
an annuity stream for the few, for a few corporations, the power of their lobbyists and PR people are not to be underestimated. Yeah, and that's it's 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 such it's an incredible thing to realize this for some people. But they, we've talked about this in just voting in general. But the lobbyists, the moneyed interests, it's provable that we live in essentially in an oligarchy in this country where they have complete control to make things happen or not happen based on their influence. And the average voter, if has any influence at all, it's a different discussion is clearly, you know, I think the, um, it was a Princeton study that basically found that we don't, I think it was near zero minuscule effect on the outcome of policy just in our voting process. And that's kind of what you're talking about, but the specific part of these kind of lobbyists, but for that note, since, since we're, you know, talking about it, I think what I'm getting at with this, is clean harbor seems to be a clear focus for a lot of this. And I've talked and I, I would play them, but they're about 10 minutes long and I'd rather take the time to speak to you more. But I've, I spoke to them on the phone. I called both of these locations or three of them technically. And by their own testimony, they do not have the ability to deal with the dioxins. They're not even doing incinerators. They're burying this stuff in landfills for the most part. And that's dioxins or PFAS. They're not able to do it. And so it just kind of shows you that there's a, a maybe it's what you're saying. This is a, a allowance to continue the problem, or it could just be profiteering, knowing that they don't want to expose what it happened. I mean, I, either way, it's corrupt. It's criminal. I, it, it, and it's spreading the problem around like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I wasn't aware of you. Your Clean Harbors is involved in East Palestine? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Clean Harbors is, is three, you know, three different times they've shipped to two, three different locations. I've called on these and spoken to them directly. And they most of them don't even have incinerators they're using. But even the ones that do are telling them that they're not even using that. And they're doing different treatments. And so on the record, they're telling us they're claiming they have no discussion about the oxins. They're not even being told that's what's in this, even though we know that it is. And so they're spreading this around by not treating it properly. And that's all very clearly on the record. But you know, I don't know if you want to comment or not, but I think that's an important part of this. None of that is surprising to me. I've seen it before. Yeah, I've been so focused right. on trying to figure, help figure out the health, the, the the health issues and what people are being exposed to. I haven't looked into that, but that's great that that you looked into that. Well, I'll definitely but send I you do, some. I do think, though, I can tell you from the calls that I get from government agencies and all my social media being monitored. The fear, here's the good news. East Palestine's a turning point because I've never seen so much support come and people come together from all walks of life. It's very important. The way that the tax, the the, the average, honest, hardworking, taxpaying American citizen, which is probably 90% of the population or more, the way that a lot of this corruption can be called out and defeated is coming together in places like Twitter and social media, because I can tell you that's what the government fears. That's what all these people fear. They, and the funny thing is we were told follow the science, but they fear the science. They actually fear the science. I completely agree. And really what they meant was follow the narrative, right? And we are the science as Fauci made very clear, right? So that's the whole point is kind of just follow what you're told, you know, but yeah, I, I think this is, is clear, it's it, it's a lot of engineering, social engineering, and keeping people in. Like it, it, when the, the facts on the ground make this undeniable, and so I think you're right. I think that there's a lot of concern here that when people come together, that they will be able to make something shift. And obviously, one thing I always say here is vote with your dollar. We see that being a real concept today. And oh yeah, that's Norfolk, Norfolk Southern. Anybody else that your dollar matters more than anything else to them. So that's that's how you should make a difference if you can. But let, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about the environmental impacts 
and 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 how you think this is going to go forward. I mean, obviously you're predicting. I mean, you 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 don't you don't have a crystal ball, but with what you're seeing on the ground, right? The numbers that you're seeing, and not even getting into the unknown combinations and what that might be doing. What do you see happening here for these people? Especially in four months, they're still getting sick. They're going to have to, you know, the soil, and it really needs to be thoroughly analyzed. What needs to be done? Do they, you know, I think they need an option to be able to sell at, you know, maybe they take appraised value for the homes and two times, one and a half times, and the railroad buys them out. I mean, it would, I think it would be far cheaper for the railroad to do the right thing and also, you know, stabilize or preserve reputation but instead when they hire all these consultants and pr people to run the show and undermine the community that's just that you know it's not going to work it's not going to work in east palestine and they hired classic the, the classic company off the top of my head i can't remember you might remember um that was involved with the epa and and and, and many other cover-ups of the past that are even openly called as such by the corporate media today, you know, and on that same note, EPA famously lied about the safety of after 9-11, right? So there's all these very clear overlaps to that and how it's, it's kind of a institutional problem, captured agency kind of a reality. That's right. That's right. There's captured agencies and captured media. Let there be no doubt about it. Right. That's why the PR people are hired for so much money. They go out and they capture the media and they capture the agencies, but yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. On the note of the um, land discussion, a lot of people are, and rightly so, are very concerned about that discussion in general. Some people even argue that that might have been the entire reason this happened. I, I clearly think that this is more of a classic cover up and that might be just a, a byproduct of it. But either way, they're already Norfolk Southern is already showing that it doesn't want on the record now, like trying to dismiss these lawsuits. And we can go into that in a second, but that they're buying the property out from under them it's clear that it won't be full value i think they've already kind of insinuated that more than once but do you think that there's a dynamic there like there's this is an important area in regard to the food chain you know that all the that kind of stuff so any of your thoughts on there maybe being a dishonest tactic in there and trying to you know sweep this up yeah i mean i think when there i saw that language about making up the difference and no one knows what there's all kinds of games you know They have unlimited money and battalions of statisticians and they can basically manipulate any form of data, whether it's testing results or real estate values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to wait and see, obviously, but the, the I mean, I'm not going to begrudge anybody from wanting to get the hell out of there and wanting to, you know, be somewhat compensated, hopefully more than their house is worth, which is what even Congress was pushing. But I, I honestly don't think that's going to come to pass. And uh, we, we could uh, we could finish by talking about this, which I really think is an important kind of follow up to this, which is and this is what I was just mentioning. This is uh, the New Republic, I think. But I've seen this in plenty of places. Norfolk Southern files motion to dismiss the lawsuit over the Ohio derailment, which is it's just such an insulting reality. And just to quickly read a couple points, then you can comment on this. It says the rail giant is looking to dismiss the mass class action lawsuit. For those who don't know, that means the individuals who they claim they're going to take care of are suing them collectively, and they're trying to stop that. It says Norfolk Southern is seeking to shut down the case, which is, in fact, a consolidation of over 30 separate lawsuits filed against the company by individuals. Quote, the first car to derail, this is Norfolk Southern speaking, did not belong to Norfolk Southern, nor did Norfolk Southern construct the wheel bearing that allegedly overheated, allegedly, and caused the train to derail. 
And it goes on to say, in the motion, Norfolk Southern's lawyers labored to argue the plaintiff's array of claims fell short. And then they even have the nerve to mention their millions of dollars in financial aid. So give me your thoughts on that. And we can, uh, you know, there's a lot of things we can comment on in that discussion. That Again, that's just a follow up on the PR playbook. So mm-hmm. first of all, we're not responsible, <laughs> but we stepped in and supported the community and the town fair and all, you know, and we donated here and there. We're the good guys. We're not responsible. Go sue someone else. It's just so insulting to our intelligence. I mean, that breaks down. Just take just taking the, the population of the town. That's like assuming it was five million dollars, which I don't know what the exact amount is. And maybe it's more than that. But still, five million dollars, that that's one thousand fifty dollars a person. You know, so clearly that doesn't even begin to to uh, be seen as supporting these people, you know. And so it's just really frustrating. And overall, what they're doing is just like you said, passing the buck, acting like it. Well, we 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 didn't, you know, we're required to carry vinyl chloride. And actually, if you could comment on for me, comment for me on the wheel bearing point. It's interesting they would say allegedly, right? Is are they are they now starting to suggest that that's not what actually happened? And what do you think? I think that's more of leaving the door open where they can point the finger and and blame the manufacturer of the wheel bearing or other components for the failure and not themselves. Oh, I, I agree with that. But the fact that they, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, at least the narrative is that the wheel bearing overheated. They have the, they have the readings of the different temperatures. So I find it odd that they would say allegedly overheated. I'm just wondering whether they're trying to start a narrative or set something about, you know, like blaming something else, or maybe that's more going on there. I don't I know. I think they're leaving the door open to blame something else. And that's the, the lawyer speak where even when yeah. you know the criminal killed somebody, they're still the alleged criminal until the trial happens. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, overall, I think it's very clear. Anybody with with two brain cells to rub together, anybody honest that can see that they're playing political games when people's lives are on the line. People are getting sick. Scott's been testing. You have levels that are far above what we are being told is safe. Combination of things. We don't even know what's going to happen in that regard and actively telling it. They're trying to turn down the lawsuits of people that need help. Right. So what do you where do you see this going forward and what are you going to be doing next in the future? And, you know, we're we're going to organize uh, sometime probably in later June or July where I'm waiting for more test results to come in. And we're going to probably have another community meeting where we can talk about the results and also have, uh, you know, the medical doctor that I'm involved with uh, take questions. And maybe by then she'll have some, you know, results in from blood testing. So there's a lot of evolving moving parts. It's just we're staying in constant communication. And again, it's about following the science, following the logic. None of these symptoms being reported were ubiquitous in the community health prior to the derailment. It's that simple. That's really all you need to know. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I really appreciate all your work there. And your work is very important ongoing. And I hope people will follow that. Let me know when you're doing these public meetings and maybe I'll even fly out. I'd love to be there. I'd love to have you there. I'd love to have you broadcasting it from there. I'll be in touch, right? Outstanding. Well, thank you again. Um, Anything else you want to leave us with? Your social media links, upcoming events? The best way to reach me is on Twitter at Warrior, at at Water Warrior One, O-N-E. So... Outstanding. All right. Well, we'll, we'll be touching base and going forward and thank you for your work, Scott. It's important. And as always, everybody out there question everything, come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.